I told Steve, I said, hey, man, I need a, I need a quick minute real quick to give me a second. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa, I got to go, man. I got to go. It, good morning. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today at Life Church. Let me catch my breath. It's hard for a fat man to run. So <laughs> I'm on the front, then I'm going to the back, get my stuff, and then up here, and then the video's not over yet, and the lights are coming on. I don't know what's going on, but it's good to see you. Hopefully, you're having a good weekend. Woo! Aerobic workout for the day. Let me get a cup of coffee. I might have to sit down in a minute and get a donut. All right. We're continuing in our series on love and family. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, John, excuse me, Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. And today we're talking about marriage. Now, if you're single today, I think these are some things to, they're, they're, I think today these are some things to kind of take notes and to think, and especially if you've never been married, to kind of, this is, uh, you know, this is kind of maybe where you're going at some point in time. But there's also some principles that are applicable for you in your life uh, that I would encourage you on. Uh, if you are married today, uh, you're in the thick of what I'm talking about, whether you've been married for a few weeks, a few months, a few years, or for decades. Uh, and, uh, and if you're divorced, and you're single in that particular uh, category, these are some things probably to reflect upon um, so that the past behavior doesn't become future behavior. And, and if you're divorced today, let me say this. Um, I in no way am throwing any stones at you, nor do we do that here. Um, uh, look, we all, anybody that goes through divorce never wishes to go through divorce. As a pastor that does wedding ceremonies, uh, no one ever goes to the altar getting married uh, thinking, hey, if this doesn't work out, I'll just kind of trade it in like a, like a car. Uh, nobody does that. And so, uh, and if you talk to anybody who's gone through a divorce, it's one of the most painful uh, things to go through. Uh, and we'll talk about why that is in just a minute. But uh, so I just want you to know I'm not beating up on divorced people or that you're a failure or you're a loser or I'm not going to take a big King James Bible and just hit you with it. Does that make sense? Um, that's, not the, that's not the deal. What I want to do is help you in the marriage and uh, the relationships that you're in and, and the children that you're raising so that you can teach and train them, but also then what does God's word have to say about this. And so every ceremony that I do, there is a, a, a phrase at the end before you may now kiss the bride that goes like this and probably was true of your wedding ceremony. For as much as, I just, put, I just changed the name to protect the innocent. Uh, John and Jill have consented together in holy wedlock and have witnessed the same before God in this company and have given and pledged their love to each other and have declared the same by the giving and the receiving of rings, by the joining of hands. It's my privilege, by the power given to me by the great state of Wisconsin. Holla. I don't do the holla part, but you got it, right? <laughs> As a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, to pronounce that they are now legally joined together. And from this day forward shall they be husband and wife in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. For what God has joined together, never let man put asunder. And then I say, John, you may now kiss your bride. And it's dun, 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 dun. All right, so, and if you've been to a wedding ceremony, you've probably, especially that last phrase, what God has joined together, let man not put asunder. What does that mean? I mean, asunder is not a word that, like, we use. Maybe you use it all the time. Am I going to put this asunder? Uh, is that asunder? I mean, you just don't. Um, and I'm going to use that word probably uh, really purposefully all throughout the, this, this message today to the point that it may become obnoxious because I want it to kind of stick. Because what does that word even mean, put asunder? Well, 
where does it come from? Is it even biblical? And again, you guys ask such great questions. So yes, I want to answer it since you're asking. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is being asked about marriage. And, and then he'll go on to be asked about divorce from the religious establishment of the day in the first century. And he answers this. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 4. He said to them, have you not read? I love that. It's kind of like, hello, Bueller, anyone, anyone? He made them at the beginning, male and female. Verse 5, and said, for this reason shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife. For the two shall become one flesh. Verse 6, so then they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. So Jesus describes the marital union between a man and a woman. That's how he defines it. And he says that this, that this marriage, that there is, that God joins them together and never let man put them asunder. So we understand what join means. Join means connected, together, uh, spatially. So you have two, they're coming together as one. So they're joined. Asunder is the exact opposite of joined. It's taking something and it's splitting it apart. It's spatially separating it. Asunder, joined. Joined, asunder. It's interesting because here's the reality of this, is, is that only God can join two people together. But man has the ability through decisions to take that joint unity that God's blessed and put it asunder. God doesn't put anything asunder. God doesn't separate the two parts. That's not God's doing. God brings them together. He doesn't bring them asunder. Why? Because we don't deal well with asunder. We don't deal well with being separated. We don't deal well with division. We don't deal well with spatial separation. We were never hardwired that way. When God created you and I, and when he created man in his image in Genesis chapter 1, before sin entered the world, God created us to live forever. Why? Because we're never good at separation. This is why we don't like when people die in our lives. That's why we don't like death. It's like we don't like being around it. Now, Paul, the apostle in the New Testament, says we grieve differently as Christians than those who are not Christians because we have a hope. What's the hope? The hope is as though, though through death, physical death, we are separated, that through Jesus Christ we will be brought, joined together. Through physical death, we're put asunder, but through Jesus Christ, we're brought together. That's the reason why the first messianic prophecy of the Old Testament, when God pronounces the curse of sin on the earth, but because of sin and the choices of Adam and Eve, chapter 3 of Genesis verse 15 says that, he, that the serpent will bruise his heel, but he will crush the serpent's head. The serpent being Satan and, and, and he being Jesus. Because a, 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 a bruising of a heel is not fatal, but a crushing of the head is. That he'll destroy him. Why? Because in the destruction of sin, what has been put asunder is now joined back together. This is the reason why we don't like divorce. It doesn't matter how nasty the, pers the person is. It doesn't matter how brutal the breakup is. We don't deal well with that. We don't deal well with, I mean, think about your first boyfriend and girlfriend. You don't deal well with that first breakup. Why? Because we don't deal well with being separated. We, we just basically don't deal well with that. We, 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 are, we are hardwired to be together in relationship. That's how God created us. And so what happens is, is that God joins us together but we have the ability to put ourselves asunder. So here's a question if you're married today. Are you joined or are you asunder? 
Are you together or are you apart? If you are asunder, where are you separated? Where are you divided spatially? What's the issue? And marriages may be separated or put asunder in more than one place, but it begins somewhere. And that somewhere is kind of a pivot point. There's, there's a big issue. There may be other issues, but there's a macro issue beyond all the micro issues that you deal with. There's a macro issue that, that drives the wedge that, that you allow in your life, your spouse allows in your life, you allow in your marriage, that what God has joined you together, you are choosing to put yourself asunder. I think it's real important to understand God doesn't do that. That's why God hates divorce. God doesn't hate divorced people. But Matthew's gospel records that God hates divorce. And the religious leaders in the same conversation will ask Jesus, well, why did Moses give a right of divorcement? And Jesus said, because the hardening of man's heart. It is impossible for two people to be yielded to the Holy Spirit, to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, to have hearts that are soft before God to be in divorce. Impossible. And I see this all the time. One heart is open and soft, the other one's closed because they've been hurt. And then all of a sudden, this heart, God begins to work and he and begins to open and soften and this one closes. And I always tell people, when they're going through situations, they're, 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 they're separated, uh, there's, this, there's these divisions that began to happen, is keep your heart open, keep your heart soft. Between you and the Lord, not with that person, between you and the Lord. Because if you'll keep your heart soft, then the Holy Spirit will speak to you, the Holy Spirit has the ability to speak to them, and God can bring that together. Because the only reason why divorce happens in the life of a Christ follower is because our hearts get hard. That's why the Bible says to guard your heart above all things, because out of your heart flows the issues of life. Psalm 51, creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your presence from me, but restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. So what the top ten reasons for, more, for, for, for marriage failure in America, uh, this is secular, but, but, but these are all points of asunder, are, are the following. Number one, communication failure. You're not talking, or somebody's not listening, or both. Secondly is financial strain, money. Third is unaligned values. You want one thing, they want something else. Um, you know, I say this to people all the time. What, what, what do you want out of life? I mean, if you just want 40 acres uh, and, a, and an F-150 and a single wide in Washington County, and she wants a Volvo uh, and a Cape Cod on the east side, you've got problems because you want two different worlds. Um, Four, lack of trust. Five, unmet, unmet expectations. This is the expectation. This is the reality. All this in here is frustration. This is the expectation. This is reality. All of this in here is, is, is frustration. The only way to eliminate the frustration is to either increase the level of reality or decrease the level of expectation. Six, unmet needs. Seven, insecurity. Eight, a lack of unity. You're just not together. You're fighting each other in front of your kids, taking sides, all of that. Nine, religious differences. This is big. The Bible speaks about this. Don't, don't be unequally yoked, it says. Don't be connected together. Don't be joined together with someone that doesn't believe what you believe. It's going to be tension there. And ten is abuse. These are all reasons for asunder. 
So how do we stay joined and not be asunder? I'm going to give you some principles for, a, 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 for avoiding asunder from God's word. First of all is put God first and your spouse second. That's a real great marriage tip, isn't it? Put God first and your spouse second. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, verse 37, 38, and 39. Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. See, here's the way it works. You have a life, and it's yours. And when you get married, it's not just yours anymore. Don't, don't say amen on that one, or you might get in trouble. All right? But it's true. And so it's not yours anymore. And you bring kids into the equation, it's not yours anymore. And so what happens is, is your life is like a cup. And so you can fill the cup of your life with whatever you want to. And when you're single, you can do whatever you want to do. But what, what I ask many times in premarital counseling, when I, when I do premarital counseling, is what's the cup of your life filled with? Is it your job? Is it your career? Is it some kind of a goal? Is it a financial deal? Is it, is it the person that you're sitting across the table from that you're getting ready to be married to? What's the cup of your life filled with? Because, see, you're going to bring that into that marriage. And two cups don't equal two, two cups when you come into marriage. It's one cup. The two become one. God joins that together. And so the question is, is that what's first in this cup? Is it God? Is it your work? Is it that person? Is it sports? Is it your ego? I mean, I've met some people that, dude, I want to say, dude, high school was over 20 years ago. You might have been really cool then, but it has changed. <laughs> Quit wearing the Letterman jacket. <laughs> they walk around like they're all that. and It's like, yeah, man, you used to be. When you had hair and, and you didn't have a gut, and that, you know, life changed, right? The point is, is that sometimes it can be anything. And so what I say is, 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 is if the cup of your life isn't filled with Jesus, then that's what you're bringing to that marriage and that relationship. And if you, oh, the cup of my life is, is really full of Jesus, but his or hers, it's about halfway, but I'm believing it's going to be full. No, 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 no. When you get married, it's going to go to the lowest common denominator. If yours is 100% full and his is 60% full, guess what? Your relationship with Christ as a couple is going to go down to 60%. It's just the way it is. So the only way to have this work in your life it's for both of you to have God first in your life. I understand you can't control the other person. You can only control yourself. But if you're dating, don't date someone that's not the same spiritual level that you're at. I don't care how good looking they are. I don't care how much the Holy Spirit spoke to you. Oh, the Holy Spirit speaking. That's not the Holy Spirit. I'm just sorry. That's called hormones. Go to George Webb and have a Bible study. It'll kill all of that right there. I'm just telling you. But go into that relationship 100% with the Lord. And then when you get married, keep God first. Why? Because it's Matthew 6, We talked about this last weekend. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the vertical relationship with God. Then all these other things shall be added unto you. Put God first. All these other things shall be added unto you. When you put God first in your life, he wants your marriage to be blessed. He instituted marriage before he ever even instituted the church. Before the church, there was husband and wife. So therefore, husband and wife is more important than the church. Because the church doesn't exist without husband and wife. 
Because husband and wife is a representation, the family is a representation of the Trinity, of Father, Son, Holy Spirit on earth. The two become one. And so it's a representation of who and what God is. So God wants that to be blessed. But here's the deal is, you and I are jacked up. We are flawed. And so there's a way that seems right to us, the proverb says, but the end thereof is this. So trust in the Lord with all of your heart, lean not your own understanding. The only way your heart's going to stay right towards your spouse, towards your kids, towards each other, towards all the other horizontal relationships that we have in life is to put God first. When I take care of this first, these other things begin to come into my life. It's priorities. Very simple. What's the most important thing in your life? If it's your job, that's going to be it. If it's money, that's going to be it. If it's your ego, that's going to be it. If it's your kid, that's going to be it. Put God first in your life. Then your spouse second. And then the kids are somewhere down, the, down there, right? Amen. Because the children, here's the deal. The children are an object of your affection. Excuse me. They're a product of your affection. Your spouse is the object of your affection. Your children are there because you loved your spouse so much that your children were produced out of that union. But what happens sometimes is that when our kids come along, they replace the spouse. And so instead of being a product of my affection to my spouse, they become the object of affection. And so my life becomes all about Johnny or all about Susie, and I'm trying to take care of, of my kids and take care of my kids. And then that's when people grow up, and, 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 and they're married for 25 years, and the kids leave the house, and they look at each other, and they go, you're a perfect stranger to me. I don't know you. Why? Because God wasn't first. Spouse wasn't second, and kids weren't somewhere down the list. Second principle for uh, preventing asunder is fighting fair. Fighting fair. Now, when I'm saying fighting, I'm not talking about being physically abusive or verbally abusive or throwing things or being destructive. But when people say they don't have arguments, heated disagreements, discussions, that's what we call them at our house. Mom and I are just having a discussion. Um, they're lying because... You put two people together in that amount of proximity, especially a man and a woman, you're going to have issues. You guys are, everybody's really quiet right now because they're like, I don't know if I can say anything or whatever. It's okay. Because the deal is, is guys, when she says fine, fine doesn't always mean fine. Have you figured that out yet? <laughs> you guys are really quiet. And just because he says, uh-huh, 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 doesn't mean he's listening to anything you're saying. <laughs> Ladies are a lot more responsive to that one than you guys. <laughs> Communication. James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. This is the hardest verse in the Bible for me to live. So then, my brethren, be, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, or slow to anger. For the wrath of man or the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. We are very typically quick to speak, slow to listen, and quick to anger. Yeah, I know anger is a sin. No, anger is not a sin. Anger is, a, is, a, is an emotional capacity that you have as an individual that you don't need to suppress, but you need to control. Jesus goes into the, basically the foyer of the temple, the, the, and, and, and they've turned it into a flea market, and he starts throwing tables over. 
That's anger. If I walked out in the foyer and just started hurling chairs, somebody would take their smartphone out. It would be on the 6 o'clock news. A pastor loses his mind in the foyer of the church. More to come. All right? So that's what Jesus did. That's anger. When David goes and kills Goliath and says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that exalts himself for the name of the powers and the glory of God? He's mad. That's a really nice way of saying, Who is this clown? I am fixing to take him downtown, Judy Brown. I'm going to clean his clock. I'm pulling a full can out on this mug. That's what he's saying. So my, my point is, is that there's nothing wrong with getting upset, but, it's you have to, but, but what you have to do is learn how to control your emotions. That's what he says in verse 20. Because your emotional outrage never produces the righteousness of God. When you fly off the handle, when you go into a rage, when you do anything, even just emotionally, when you emotionally just vomit and just volcano, just erupt on each other, and the shrapnel and the, it's just laying around, the debris in the house, it never produces the righteousness of God. So how do you deal with it? Be quick to listen. Seek to understand before you seek to be understood. Be slow to speak. And sometimes you may need to take some time to, before you have that conversation. And be very slow to get angry. But you're going to disagree. You're going to have, you're going to look at the same picture and see two different things from time to time. But when you do, make sure that you're slow to speak, that you're quick to listen, and that you control your emotions. Number three is choose joy. Choose joy. Not happiness. I'll explain that in a second. But choose joy. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 9, Solomon says, live joyfully, not happily. This isn't Disney World, right? It's not, there's no happily ever after. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun. It's not about happiness. It's about joy, and there's a difference. Happiness is a euphoric emotion that's here today and gone tomorrow. It's like a roller coaster. It's ups, downs, twists, turns, and it's over. So when people say, well, I'm not happy. That's why I'm getting a divorce. God wants me to be happy. No, God never said he wants you to be happy. Don't take God's words and use it against them. He never said that in Scripture. There is no, that holds no theological water. He said he wants you to be full of joy. That's different. What's the difference? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a characteristic that can be developed in the life of a Christian. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness. It can be developed. It's not a gifting of the Holy Spirit. A gifting of the Holy Spirit is not something that you develop, that you work for, but the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, gives to you. A, a fruit of the Spirit is just like the fruit off of a tree. It's planted, it's nurtured, it's, it's, it's pruned, it's developed in order to produce that in your life, which means you're going to have to work at it, just like a farmer has to work at a crop, just like a, a, a farmer that, that's farming an orchard has to develop those, those, those trees. You're watching and you're making sure that, that no, nothing comes in that would be invasive, that would destroy destroy that tree or the fruit of that tree. You're watching to make sure you, 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 you take the fruit of the tree off at the right time. You're developing it. You're protecting it. You're nurturing it. That's how you have joy. So when Solomon says, live joyfully, it's a choice that you have. If you hate your marriage and hate your life, it's your fault. 
It's not God's fault. It's not your kid's fault. It's not the dog's fault. You can kick the dog, but it's not the dog's fault. At the end of the day, there are choices that have been made, and we're the sum total of the choices that were made. Now, I understand you can't control him and you can't control her. I get that. And he or her might have gone completely off the rails. I understand that. And life happens. I understand that. And pressures happen. I get that. And we're not perfect. You're exactly right. We're jacked up. Pastor, you said that a few minutes ago. You're exactly right. We're jacked up. But I, in my life as a Christ follower, have the ability to have a life full of joy. It's my choice and my decision whether I produce that and develop that and nurture that in my life or I just leave it alone and don't develop it. But happiness is never a great moniker for a marriage because it's too euphoric. It's too slippery. It's, it's too joy. That your marriage is full of joy is a great thing. I remember, I know this couple, I won't call their name. They, they live in, 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 in uh, far away from here. And uh, they live in Arkansas. And, uh, uh, and so they've been married for 50 years. There was a 50-year wedding anniversary. They had this big dinner. And the husband gets up, and he's going to make this speech to his wife and thank everybody for being there and blah, 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 and the kids for putting together the meal and the whole thing. And he gets up and he says, we've been married for five, I mean, excuse me, for 50 wonderful years. And she said, 49. He said, honey, no, it's been 50. That's what we're celebrating. She said, I understand what we're celebrating, but it's been 49 wonderful years. He said, honey, it's 50. And she said, no, it's been 49 wonderful years. One of them was just sheer hell. Choose joy. I'm just almost saying right there. All right? <laughs> Number four is stay pure. Stay pure. Purity is not something that ends when you get married. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. Here, here is what we know, that sex and sexual relationships outside of the marital union of a woman and a man Coming together in marriage, the Bible defines that as immorality or sin. Sexual relationships in the confines of marriage is it's great, awesome, completely. It's righteous, pure, and holy unto God. So before you go all like puritanical on me, understand God's the one that came up with the idea of, success, of, of, of sex. I didn't come up with it. God's the one that created it. He's a good God, amen? Just saying. Man, you people are really quiet on this stuff. I think it would be easier to take an offering today than it would to talk about sex. So let's just talk about sex for a few minutes. Because I was preaching this last night, and I made the statement. I said, watching sex is beautiful. And, I, and one of the guys caught it, and I was like, that's not what I meant to say. And they said, we know, but it came out because you get to talking fast. And we're going to save that clip for the future. So <laughs> you shouldn't be watching other people have sex. Okay. Inside that marital relationship, it's, it's, I used to, when I was a youth pastor, I used to describe it this way. It's like a fire. If sex is like a fire. If you take a fire and you have a fire in the fireplace in your home, it's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. That's why I was saying it's, it's beautiful to watch. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. It, it creates warmth. It's, it's productive. Uh, it's satisfying. It's all of those things that you want it to be. But if you take the same sexual activity... You take the same fire out of the fireplace and you light it in the middle of the floor, it will burn the entire house down. The exact same thing that is 
life-producing and wonderful and satisfying in its right place will destroy your home outside of those confines. That's what Hebrews 13 is saying. As long as between a husband and a wife, shut the door, have fun, praise his holy name. God came up with this idea. This is wonderful. But outside of that confines of that, it becomes destructive in your life. It never satisfies, and it destroys everything in its path. So when you come into that marital union, did I say something wrong? I said something again? Oh, my, my, my 15-year-old's on the front row. Okay, so, <laughs> don't dad. Okay, so, sorry. These are PG-13 services. And that's something else, let me say that since, since I just brought that up. It's healthy and appropriate age to begin to talk to your kids about these types of conversations. Sex should not be something that they hear from someone else but from you. They should understand it. Why? Because God created it. it this, again, we're, I, I could get into some Song of Solomon and really embarrass everybody right now. David has some really great psalms in the Old Testament that, whoa, the, the, the guys in the back when he put those words on the screen. So I'm just saying it's, it's there. So, and it's powerful and empowering and a blessed thing if it's done within the confines of marriage. But it destroys. And because we don't talk about it as a church, then perversion comes in. And you can't pervert something that's not real, that doesn't exist. And so within the confines of, of a marital relationship, it's not perverted. It's actually a godly thing. Outside of that, that's where the perversion kicks in. And so, which, which is part of the problem that we have in our society, according to statistics, with, with sexual indiscretions. Stay pure. Last thing, don't give up. Don't give up. Whatever you do, just don't quit your marriage. Remember, God's brought you together. You have the choice if you go asunder. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not get tired of doing what is right. For after a while, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. Just don't quit. Just don't quit. If you're in a marriage today and you're a Christ follower and your spouse is not, just remember it's the kindness of God that will lead them to repentance. It's not your nagging. It's not your insistence. It's not your rules. It's not the biggest King James Bible that you can find. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Love. And ask God to help you in those places and those times where it's difficult to do that. If you're going through a rough patch right now, just don't give up. Remember, you have the ability to put yourself asunder. And Jesus says, let not any man do that. Or woman. If you're facing a crisis, and you may be, there's help. But I just want, I'm not trying to guilt anybody, but I want you to understand, those are your choices. You're an adult. You're not a rock'em, sock'em robot. God doesn't control you from some heavenly uh, cosmic joystick. You make choices. I make choices. And if you've had a spouse that has maybe, you know, because sometimes there's situations where they're definitely wrong and, and you're not, 
then what does the Bible say in those situations? Offer forgiveness. As much as it depends upon you, be at peace. Work through your issues. But most of the time, it takes two people to tango. Most of the time, it takes two people to come to that. Remember, it, divorce happens because of the hardening of the heart. So how's your heart? Not how's his heart. Quit talking about his heart. Quit talking about her issues. Well, she quit doing? No, no. You can't control her. You can't control him. You're not even controlling yourself right now. What you're doing is you're judging them from a point of your own strength and, and on their weakness, which is what we are really good at doing. Quit judging them and just look to you. Even if you only have 1% of the issue, because you can't change that 99% of the person. But just don't quit. Just don't quit. Just don't quit. Don't quit. The easiest thing to do is actually what seems to be the hardest thing to do in that moment, and that is stay married. It's much more painful and difficult to go through the divorce than it is to work through the relationship. Because guess what? The issue, the mistrust, the, the hurt, it's still going to be there when you go through divorce. It's just going to be magnified through that. That's what will happen. That and a whole lot of attorney deals. And then you're still going to have to walk through that so that if you ever walk into another relationship, and you may not feel like that today, but you walk into another relationship, that you can walk into that relationship whole and not carrying the baggage in the other relationship. So the hurt's there. You're going to have to deal with the hurt. Better that you deal with it with that person and what God has brought together, let it stay together than to just kind of go, you know what, it's just easier just to quit and be done and just I'm going to go on. You go your way. I'm going to go my way. We'll divide our assets. Go on. You get the kids these weeks. I get the kids these weeks, and let's go on. Because you still got the hurt. You still got the pain. And if you think it's him and it's you, if it's all her fault and it's really you, guess what? Wherever you are, there you are. If John's got a problem with Sally and John's got a problem with Susie and John's got a problem with Sarah, John's got a problem. And most of the time, John doesn't want to deal with his problem. So that's when you just say, God, help me. Holy Spirit, search my heart. Here I am.